If you want an answer to how far you should go, talk to a good accountant. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. And if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's amazonprofitquiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. If you would like resources and links and other help, to do with today's episode just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 45 jibber hello hello this is the 10k collective podcast with michael vz for six seven and eight figure amazon private label and custom product sellers a subset of the amazing fba podcast family for amazon sellers more generally today we're in the middle of talking about as part of our protect your amazon profits series we're talking about working capital management and specifically increasing your cash conversion cycle. That all sounds a bit mystical. What on earth does that mean? Working capital is really the money you've got tied up in your business that you can't take out. And more specifically, I think more importantly, you need to think product line by product line as, a, as an Amazon seller or an e-commerce seller generally, same with retailers in general, in fact. So each individual product line, each sort of collection of product lines and each brand, even within a bigger business, will have certain working capital characteristics. If you're importing stuff from China and you have to order three months worth of stuff, then you place an order now and assuming you've got no credit or, or debt or anything involved, that money's going to be tied up until it hits Amazon. And then you're still going to have to sell through that inventory. It doesn't go in one lump, does it? Because we're not selling uh, wholesale to somebody else. We're selling retail bit by bit or unit by unit, piece by piece. And so it's going to take maybe another month and a half before you've paid that money back. So you, you tied your money up for four or five months there. Whereas the working capital for a product that I can order down the road from somebody that's off the shelf, ready to go. So in other words, I'm buying it wholesale rather than my own custom product. Well, I can get it to Amazon with a week and then it sells through in a week. I've tied my money up for just two weeks. So that's what I mean by the working capital. It's to do with the time frame really. And you can calculate the exact amount of money as well. And I'm not going to give any equations or formula, formulas or formulae today, because I think that muddies the waters to get the, con the concepts across cleanly and clearly and simply. You can always go and educate yourself if you wish to. I recommend this book, which I always have near me, literally, physically, Financial Intelligence for Entrepreneurs by Karen Berman, B-E-R-M-A-N, and Joe Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. There are also lots of things you should be doing, like talking to your accountant, but let me get the simple concept across first. Why does this stuff matter? Well, I'm going to talk about good debt and bad debt today, specifically as a way to manage your working capital. So to reduce, the aim is to reduce the amount of money you've got tied up in any given product whilst keeping the same amount of profits coming out of it, which is just a beautiful thing. Just think about it. If you put 
£100,000 in the bank and you get 5% interest, you can put £100,000 in the bank or dollars or euros or whatever and get 10% interest. You put in the same money at risk, but you're getting more money back, which is better. Right? So that's really what we're talking about is the idea that if you put £100,000 in the bank and you get 5% interest, by what we're trying to do is put, if you imagine you put £50,000 in the bank, but you still get 5% interest, so you still get $5,000 a year in interest. I didn't explain that very well, but you get the basic idea. Okay, so why does this all matter? Well, simple. If you start to manage debt wisely and well, you will make you will be able to grow your business with less investment from you. In fact, you may be able to grow it so-called organically, so you don't have to put any more of your own money in, and you can still grow the business, and you can grow it substantially and quite fast, and you won't have to get any debt either. It's more sellable. If you can get your business set up with lower working capital, if you do want to get investment, you're more investable because you, you you know it's a safer investment because you're managing your cash more efficiently. And if you want to get a loan, it's much more lendable because you've got more cash flow relative to the amount of money you're tying up. If all that sounds a bit wishy-washy, look, the less money you have to use to make cash flow, the better. I think we can agree on that, right? Okay, moving on. So. Good debt and bad debt. Let's talk about this briefly. If you have a bunch of money tied up in a product that you're saying, maybe you buy six months worth from China because you've got rather rocky supply chain. So sometimes, you know, you get stuck on a boat for three months. Like under COVID, it was horrendous like that. So let's say you buy six months worth of, of product. It's got a three month lead time. You put the money down in January the 1st and the products get to, you know, they get manufactured. On the February the 1st, they get sent out of the factory gates and they make their way through roads in China to a port and then they get shipped to the US and they get taken off and they get put onto lorries and they get sent into an FBA center, etc. And it turns up there in, in May, June. So June the 1st. No, that's wrong timing. If you start off in January, it, it hits the factory gates in February the 1st and it gets March, April. So it gets to Amazon in April and then you've got six months worth of stock so it sells through April, May, June, July, August. So you're going to get your money fully back out of the system by September. Now, if you're smart, then you'll realize, okay, you, you, if you're selling at a profit, then you will have got the money back out of the system by whatever, July, maybe, and then the rest of it is profit, right? But you tied that money up for about six months, very roughly, okay? Now, one way to change that is to speed up the lead time. So <laughs> try your best. To make sure that your stuff arrives quicker. Great. And we talked about that. And that's absolutely critical. You don't have that much control over that. Now, another thing you can do that's more radical, we've talked about already, is to source near shoring, as, as called in the buzzword. So you, you source regionally. So if you're in the UK, you source in Europe. If you're in North America and you're selling in the US, you source in Mexico. Or you keep life simple selling in the UK, you source in the UK, selling in the US, you source in the US. It can be hard to make profit that way because the, the differences in the manufacturing costs and, and what you can sell it for aren't always so big. So, but it's great for working capital. Now, however, this is when debt comes in. So I would, I would say a bad example of debt would be to borrow a lot of money to buy six months worth of stuff from China and sell it. And then you end up with a 20% profit because you're risking a lot of money. And when you add debt, external debt, say from a bank loan, you've actually got to pay the interest on the bank loan now. So your, your, that, your finance costs are eating into your overall profit, plus you've increased the risk, okay? 
that's not, I wouldn't say that's terrible use of debt, but that's not very good. It's, it's too high risk for my money. And, and that's a personal decision everyone's got to make. But how about this? Before you turn to your bank for debt, about great debt, which is your supplier, it's known as supplier credit. And the word credit sounds much nicer than debt, but it's the same thing. It just depends which side of the equation you're on. If I lend you money, I extend you credits, but you know, you owe me a debt, right? It's the same kind of thing, just to be clear about that. Supplier credit is a nice sounding term though, isn't it? And that just means that the supplier is going to front you the money for the products for a given period. And it's quite standard that for most of us, if you go to China, as many of us do, as I have in the past, and most of my clients still do source from China, you sell sort of certain types of fast moving consumer goods that are typically Amazon type consumer goods. Okay. So I source from China as my, my clients do. And typically, even from the off, if you don't know each other, you put down a reasonably sized order, like a few thousand dollars, you will pay them 30% deposit up front, but you don't pay for the whole thing. You pay 30% up front before manufacturing starts. And that's often so they can go and get the raw materials. And then you pay the balance or 70% in that case when the manufacturing's done. So they've already extended you a month's worth of credit to some degree. And if you're putting down a 50,000 pound order, that's actually a substantial amount of credit. The great things about supply credit are, number one, they don't charge interest normally. And if you start paying really late, they might charge interest and quite rightly, you should pay your bills on time. But if you've agreed 30 days credit for even a part of the, the thing, they're giving you free credit, unlike a bank, which will charge you interest or let alone funding circle and all the other options, including Amazon as well. I mean, Amazon lending isn't free, folks. It may be easy to get. That doesn't necessarily mean you should. I'm not saying you shouldn't. That's a different thing. But credit, supply credit is pretty much, it does increase risk a bit because you still own money. So if you get a cash flow problem, then, you know, you still own money. But it's, it's by far the least risky part of debt. And it's, it's in terms of profit and loss, the interest is, is zero. So it's free, effectively. Now, here's the thing. You're also aligned in interest with your credit, your supplier, right? Because your supplier wants you to buy more stuff now and in future because they're your cost price is their revenue, right? So when you buy more goods, they make more money. And a lot of them will be, you know, trying to please bosses that they're not necessarily own their own business. They may, but in a lot of cases, be quite big concerns factories, even a medium sized factories, big relative to the size of business that I or you are probably running. And therefore they, you know, have a boss to please and really pleasing their boss by bringing home a nice juicy looking sales commission is good. If they're an agent, then they're getting paid a percentage of their revenue. So either which way they want a big order and they, their interests are aligned with ours to a large degree as well. Now, this is where that is just the beginning. Most people stop there. In fact, a friend of mine used to work for Sony, maybe still does, um, in the procurement department quite high up and ordered millions and millions of pounds worth of, or dollars worth of products from China each year and said that they have handbooks that they use for different nations and the British and to some extent Americans are, quotes, don't negotiate very much. Now, um, I think you should negotiate. You should negotiate regularly, frequently, and consistently. However, what most people don't do is push people down and down and down on price. Now, in some contexts, like in Britain or the US, there is probably more wiggle room there because there is more profit to whittle away, if you like, that they can give away to you in return for a juicy size order. But if you're dealing with the Chinese, my understanding, I don't have a, you know, a PhD in, in, in anything specialist here, 
is that they really get a reimbursement from the the government if they export. And broadly speaking, they they are on very, very thin margins. So if you try and push down the price too much, what generally happens is that they will whittle away at the quality. So I'm not saying you shouldn't negotiate on price and, and therefore improve your profit and loss. Okay. So your, your cost of goods sold. Obviously, you should work on that, but by keeping a very, very tight view on, on quality. But this is completely different. We're not talking here about profit and loss. We're talking about balance sheet management, cash flow management. And what they are very open to, they are probably not going to be open to reducing the cost of a widget much below 50 cents. Maybe you get it down to 45 cents and then you get it down to 40 cents and you find the quality has dropped. But they might be very open if you have a good history with them and if you represent a significant size of their business to going from, say, you put down 30% and then they, um, you pay 70% on manufacturing to, to deals that I've seen amongst my clients such that you pay, for example, 30% of the manufacturing costs at the end of manufacturing. So they're printing all of the, the costs for 30 days. And then that you pay the remainder, you pay maybe a third when they put it on a ship and then another third when it's actually landed in the US or the UK or wherever you're selling it. And I've even seen deals where they, it will go as far as you pay two thirds of the price when it's landed in the UK. When you think about that, if you've got a, say, £100,000 worth of orders per year with a factory, or let's say you order £100,000 worth of product a quarter, if you've got a substantial size business, or by my light, so it's substantial. It's all relative, very relative. Let's say 100000 all right? So if you had to pay that all up front, and then it took, you know, three months for it to get delivered from when you ordered it to when it's available to sell on Amazon, and then it sells through over the course of three months, and maybe somewhere like month four is where you break even. You've got four months worth. You're tying £100,000 up for four months for a single product line. That's a heck of a lot of working after to find. Now, let's imagine that you get it. And I've imagine it. I, let me just tell you that I've seen deals like this frequently. By negotiation, your suppliers offer that you can put down 30000 at the end of manufacturing. Well, that saved you a month's worth of, of revenue, of, of capital, sorry. And then they let you pay when it lands in the UK, which is two months later. The amount of working capital you've tied up is astronomically lower. And here's the thing. All that's changed, all that's changed, is the accounts payable. So you owe them a lot of money. So you owe them a lot of money is just a supplier credit means you have supplied debt and you owe your supplier a lot of money. But um, that's okay. They're not likely to turn around and ask you for it suddenly because they don't want to destroy the relationship because they want to sell you the goods. It's got to be by negotiation. By the way, don't randomly try and not pay your suppliers because that's a terrible, terrible idea. You're absolutely dependent on quality suppliers for your business to work. So don't do that. But by negotiation, and stick to what you've negotiated, by the way, if you mess them around, again, you mess that relationship up, you mess the lifeblood of your business up. But can you see that the amount of money that you tie up is colossally smaller just by negotiating supply credit? That's pretty much the lesson for today. Now, there are other things you can do. I mean, on the other side of the working, so the amount of inventory you, you order, and how long it takes to, to deliver. We've already talked about if you can air freight it, that's going to cut you know, a huge amount of the working capital requirements, but it may cut too much off the profit and loss if it's quite heavy. Again, just to reiterate what I said in the last episode about this, really, I'd, I would plead with you to think about the working capital characteristics of your product. So if you can order something that is valuable, but quite small and light, 
and you can air freight it profitably, then that massively cuts down the amount of money you have to tie up in that product, aka working capital for that product, right? It's really worth thinking about. But this supply credit stuff is just independent of how long it takes things to ship. So you, what you're doing is you're separating the production cycle from the cash conversion cycle, really, by doing this. And that may be a bit technical, but it's, it's what sophisticated companies do every day of the week. But most small business owners that I work with don't tend to think in these terms, but the supplier credit is normally available. Now, on the other side, I'll just mention this because the other part of working capital management, apart from accounts payable, that is the money you owe your supplier, and it's actually good to owe them a lot of money in terms of working capital management, but you don't want to go too extreme like anything else. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 45 And I would suggest if you want an answer to how far you should go, talk to a good accountant. Make sure you got one. If you don't have one, go get one. Okay, I can recommend them over at the blog at 10kcollective.com. So the amount of inventory you've got is obviously critical and how long you hold on to it, right? So that's that's a function of those two things. But then the accounts receivable, the money that's owed to you is also a part of it. You don't really want to be owed that much money. It may sound like a funny thing to say. What you want is people to pay you in cash because it means you reduce the amount of money that's tied up, the amount of working capital. It's safer and it's more efficient. And again, you can grow organically faster. So the trouble is when you're dealing with Amazon, they pay you after 14 days and that's pretty rigid. Now, by the way, Amazon are not stupid people. Jeff Bezos, one of the smartest business people ever, in my opinion. One of the reasons is because he engineered the company such that the third-party sellers, they get paid all the money for the goods by the customers and then they pay us our cut of it half, two-thirds, whatever it is, 14 days later. And that float has enabled them to grow organically to an astronomical degree. They also use debt and other things, of course. So that's by design, folks. This is not an accident. But obviously, some of us have the option, and it, it seems to vary slightly randomly who gets the option to get a payout by clicking daily payout. Sometimes that will cost you too much money. So again, there may be a profit hit versus a cash flow thing. You've got to weigh up. Other people have the opposite experience. I've got a couple of clients recently in the mastermind who were saying that, that Amazon was holding up what they call a reserve. So they're not paying them all the money that they owed them even after 14 days. And if that's the case, you want to investigate why that is and raise a, a case with Amazon Seller Central. And as ever, the great pleasure of Amazon Seller Central, you just got to basically pester and pester and pester the frontline people since you can't get through normally to the people who can actually make decisions to change these things until they are persuaded uh, to escalate it to the people who can change it. But it's absolutely, if you've got a business doing hundreds of thousands or millions even a, a month, it's 100% worth your while to pester away and make sure they take as many of the reserves off as possible. If the reserve's there because there's some problem or you've got a high a refund rate or something, then you need to dive into why that is and try and solve that problem. So that's that opens up another can of worms. But just to say, getting paid as quickly as possible is also really, really important. So if Amazon's hanging on to your money, you want to try and investigate why, raise a case. If you think that there's a reasonable case, if there's some underlying driver, deal with it. And equally, if you can get paid quicker by Amazon, then I would suggest you consider that whilst looking at the literally the costs of doing that. Another option that I'll just mention because people think of it, and it's a traditional solution, but it's not my favorite, is what's so-called factoring or receivables purchase. So you can get companies that will do a deal that will 
actually buy your Amazon receivables from you. So in other words, they will, they will give you the money now that Amazon owes you that way they were going to pay you in 14 days time minus, of course, their fee. So that will, there is a straightforward payoff between your profit and loss. So your profit will be somewhat lower because you, you're going to pay them some money for that service called factoring or receivables purchase. They're pretty similar. And I'm not going to say they're exactly the same because I'm not qualified to tell you the exact difference, but pretty similar. But you get the money quicker, right? So again, you, sometimes there are payoffs between profit and loss and cash flow uh, management. And particularly here, we're looking at reduce the amount of working capital tied up in each given product. But I go back to the supply of credit, really, because messing about the, the receivables end, in other words, getting paid a bit quicker than Amazon was otherwise going to pay you, generally is hard to engineer. And it, it's only 14 days anyway. Whereas if you can engineer supply of credit that is like 70 days or something, which one of my clients literally did the other week, we had a discussion about it and he went back to his supplier and, and negotiated it. That saved him tens of thousands in, in loans they may potentially had to take out in order to deal with the situation where they didn't quite have enough cash to fund the working capital for that particular set of products. Now they do. And the supplier is funding them, not the bank. And banks have a nasty habit of turning around apart from, you know, always wanting interest of turning around. And just when you don't, when you need the money the most, wanting it back, particularly if it's an overdraft, I would really, I would say when it comes to bad debt, Overdrafts are highly risky. I mean, they're normally pretty expensive and it depends on the terms of your bank. And I'm not a finance expert to do with banks and loans. So go and talk to your accountant and your bank and read the fine print. But quite often it seems they can just ask for it back and then you can be in big, big trouble. If you've got a negotiated supply credit with a Chinese supplier or something, your situation is very different, isn't it? Because you think about it, they've, they've agreed credit with you. They're really having to trust you. So you're not going to get that kind of deal immediately. You really aren't. So don't be naive about this. But if you've got a solid history of paying on time, and by the way, the irony is if you want to get off a good credit, you need to pay on time first. But if you've got a good credit history, if you're putting good orders in, and if they've got a relationship where they trust you, it's amazing what they do for you and what they're able to do for you. And the Chinese companies seem to be able to get credits at a depth and a level and a size that, that British and American companies would struggle to get. And now you could ask why that is and how long that will last. And you could argue that the Chinese Communist Party basically is playing fast and loose with credit and eventually that will crash and burn. So on the micro macroeconomic cycle, that's probably correct. We'll probably have a massive gigantic credit crunch in China at some point in the next three to five years. Maybe it's even next year. But that, that's a bigger picture thing anyway, right? In the meantime, I would say use it, use it wisely in case they decide to withdraw the credit. So, you know, all credit can to some degree be withdrawn, I guess. Um, but again, sit down and, and talk to your accountant about this and really, you know, talk to wise people such as we have in the, in the mastermind. And I say wise, I mean, they're, they're battle hardened veteran, small business owners and entrepreneurs. Sometimes they'll be a bit too risk on, sometimes a bit too risk Inverse. But if you talk to those guys and you talk to your accountant, then you can make your own mind up. You've got to make your own mind up about this stuff. But I hope this has opened your eyes to the fact that supply credit is a beautiful thing. If you're not using it, you should at least consider it, see if it's possible. And then look at the alternatives. Because in the end, if you want to grow your business organically, then often you're going to have to borrow money somehow or invest more money. I say organically, I suppose. Unless your business is incredibly profitable and you turn over your, you turn your stock into cash and cash into stock very, very quickly, 
then often you're going to need some credit or some more investment. And supplier credit is normally well aligned with your business compared to the costs and risks of other types of credit. So they get good debt and bad debt, slightly different take on it there. Final thing to say about this is this. I'm not saying go and do thou likewise. It may not be correct for you and your business. What I'm saying, I suppose, is consider this, look into it, discuss it, educate yourself. I believe an awful lot of small business owners are a few bits of really solid finance education away from really changing the business quite a lot. It's not going to absolutely transform a bad business into a good business, but it contains a mediocre one into a good one, in my experience. So so take this seriously is what I would say. I mean, look, if it isn't your bag, then get a business partner or, or accountant who gets this kind of stuff. But I'm not talking, I, I want to emphasize this. I'm not talking about you as a CEO or, or, or you know, the owner, manager of your business or whatever you call yourself. I'm not talking about turning yourself into an accountant or a bookkeeper. I'm neither of those things and I'm not pretending to play one on the internet, but I can grasp these concepts straightforwardly because they are pretty straightforward. It's just a different way of looking at things. So I would really, really encourage you to start looking through this lens at businesses, at your own and anyone else's business you're privy to, to talking about. Again, a mastermind is a wonderful forum for that. And just observe the cash conversion cycles, the working capital requirements, and start to educate your brain about how to look at things this way. Because when you look at things this way, you'll see opportunities and problems that other people just won't see because other people are just, if you're lucky, looking at the profit and loss statement. Again, I'll just reiterate, just if you're at earlier stages, if you don't even have a profit and loss statement yet, don't get too fancy with this stuff, okay? Don't go trying to borrow money before you know what's going on your business. Get an accountant, get a bookkeeper, get your accounts up to, uh, to scratch. But then actually look at your profit and loss and go through it with your accountant, make sure you understand it. We've talked about that before, but it's worth reiterating. But once you've done that and you've got a basic grasp on that, don't forget to look at the balance sheet because you know most accountants really love balance sheets and bank managers love balance sheets, but most entrepreneurs just ignore them as a technical thing. And actually, once you understand a little bit of what's going on at the basic level, you have a whole new level of grasp compared to most of your competition. I promise you most people don't know this stuff. And the people that get it get big wins pretty straightforwardly sometimes. And as I've said, one of my clients, tens of thousands of dollars of free supply credit. Yes, it slightly increases risk in some ways, but they were going to have to go and get a bank loan anyway or shut that product line down. So if you want a bank loan versus a supply credit, there's no contest in my opinion. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. A couple of things to say. If you have found today useful, but you're a bit confused and you want a bit of help to think about whether your business is in a position, you know, where you actually got some opportunities or threats that you haven't identified and you want somebody to have a look at it for you, then you can get a free audit from me personally. I normally say you've got at least $10,000 pounds or euros a month in monthly revenue, but I'll be nice because there are other people that need the help. If you've got a few, you know, if you've got some kind of revenue, a reseller or private level or custom product brand owner, then book a time with me. I'll look at your business. I'll probably send you a little questionnaire to, to ask you a few questions about the business to make an efficient time that we can both have together. And then we can have a half hour talk through of your business and see if I can give some insights that could be useful to you. Just go to myamazonaudits.com for that. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T for tango.com, myamazonaudit.com. 
final thing to say is this, just if you're listening and you're fairly early doors and you are thinking, well, this is all very well, but I don't have a private label business yet. I, I'm wanting to start one, but I don't have that much money. If you have small money and you have no experience of selling on Amazon yet, these days, my advice is pretty simple. Don't start a private label business. Don't start a custom product business. It's high risk, higher capital requirements, talking of working capital. The working capital requirements for a wholesale type business where you're sourcing in the same country that you're selling in, so buying in the UK, selling in the UK is particularly the people that tend to come to me, are way, way lower. Therefore, the risk is lower. Now, long term, you may be very hot to develop a private label or custom product business. Fantastic. But if you are wanting to get started with Amazon or e-commerce in general, but you have modest money and modest experience, I strongly think you're better off with a wholesale model. Now, the problem with that advice, whilst I stand by, is that I can't teach that because I've not done that model and I don't teach stuff that I don't know how to do myself. I want to make sure I serve people properly. But I'm delighted to say that I've got a couple of my clients who are working with me to develop custom product businesses, but who have years of working full-time as very successful wholesale sourcing experts in Amazon. And they have agreed to do some teaching of students and some training alongside me to make sure that we can actually now serve the people whether I perceive this need for quite a long time. So I'm delighted to say that we can now offer that. So if you want to explore that, just go to Michael. I don't even have a sales page for it yet because it's, it's very early. Just go to Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at amazingfba.com. I'm very happy to be able to say that. So if you're early stages, that's a great thing for you to explore. If you're more advanced, then an Amazon audit by me will really, really help you. Again, myamazonaudit.com for that. And that's enough from me. I hope your brains aren't too blown and you managed to take on board what we've said. As ever, we've got notes over at 10kcollective.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you get more good stuff like this, especially for you if you are a six or seven figure Amazon seller. Thank you so much for listening. Speak to you in the next show. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash four five jibber thanks for listening to the 10k collective podcast for six and seven figure amazon sellers i really hope you found the show helpful to you please don't forget to subscribe to the show and if you're on apple podcasts please do leave us a quick star rating it will take you all of 30 seconds to do it but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.